You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 262 of the Pempcron Warhammer podcast. And we're brought to you today by GameMat.eu, as well as Panhandle3D.etsy.com. And you can never forget our beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons. Thank you all for supporting the show. You can do PH3D 15% uh, 15 off for 15% off at Panhandle3D. And uh, GameMat.eu right now, listen, hold up. We've got our event 10 code right now, right? But they're also doing a special 20% off at GameMat.eu on mats. Not terrain, but mats. And uh, the code is on their Facebook page. And the real kicker here is not only is it 20% off, but it stacks with our 10% off. So it'll be 30% off any mats because they're trying to liquidate uh, product in order to get brand new sets of mats in. So run, do not walk to GameMat.eu's uh, Facebook page and get that 20% off code and get 30% off total. What are we talking about here, people? Well, we are talking about the Blood Bowl team for vampires tonight on the Want That or Want That Not. And of course, we have the Real Talk. It is technically a Tesseract mailbox. That's why I'm not doing a Tesseract mailbox this week. Uh, I spoke to Mario via Facebook Messenger and we spoke for a long time, so it's not something I'm going to be reading because it wasn't like a formal letter, but he was asking me if Americans really are more competitive at Warhammer than the rest of the world, because that's the impression that he gets. So we explore that idea in the real talk. So what have I been up to? Well, I have been having a really cool hobby project that I've been working on. And essentially I have gotten a uh, clipboard case, so you can hold the papers inside the case and it opens, but it's also a clipboard. It has a nice little compartment at the bottom for pencils. It's very handy. Well, uh, my job was getting rid of it, so it's brand new, but it was going to be trashed because we don't need it anymore, and uh, it was a surplus of some project. So I decided to keep it, and it was free to me, and I've decided to make a miniature portable brutality board essentially so brutality uh converts to grid maps really easily you make each square two inches and then it's boom you're done so i printed off an 18 by 18 square that would be 36 inches represented of a grassy field with grid on it and there's a road driving through it and i went and bought 10 millimeter miniatures i bought a bunch of uh essentially fantasy miniatures they're 3d printed and essentially, it was Slaves of Darkness and some uh, Daughters of Cain. And I got like a Blood Cauldron and I got some other stuff. And I'm going to be painting these up. And they're going to be my two interchangeable factions that are going to play on this board. And I laminated the board that I printed off. I also printed off a dungeon board of the same dimensions and laminated that. And then my dad had some steel in his garage and he, he cut me a, um, a, a board for that steel and I'm magnetizing all of the terrain and I'm magnetizing all of the pieces and the paper goes over it, the laminated board. And then I put all of my magnetized terrain I'm making out of popsicle sticks, which sounds really stupid and childish, but it's going to look really cool. And um, my daughter, Gabby, is making me 
trees and bushes and things like that out of crumpled up aluminum foil, and I'm going to paint that, because that looks pretty much like a tree. And because uh, I want things for line of sight blocking and all that. She's also making me boulders. And it's just really cool. It's been really, really fun doing this. I even, to just go along with the miniature theme, of course I own D10s because I play Brutality, but I bought miniature baby 10 millimeter D10s off of a, I think it's called Dice Depot. So um, they're coming in the mail and I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm going to have miniature little dice for my miniature little miniatures on my miniature board with my miniature train. It's all going to fold up in this. And of course I'll have pictures and stuff online of it. And then I even printed off on one sheet of paper two warbands worth of uh, stat sheets. And it's pretty small, admittedly, but uh, there's plenty of room on the side to dry erase, you know, the like the score and the status effects so I don't have to use tokens. And then also it's dry erase so I can um, I can change the stats and play test things and all that. So I'm pretty darn excited about all this. I really am. And um, it's going to be really neat. And it's just like this neat hobby thing. I don't know. I didn't feel like painting miniatures anymore after I painted those spaceships. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to get these little teeny miniatures. I'm going to paint them. And I'm going to make this a cool looking board. Not to mention, with my Narrative Mission Module 1, I can... Um, it's got like the, the cave areas where you kind of have to draw on an RPG mat. Well, this is perfect because I'll be able to draw on this mat... Anywhere I go, whether I'm on vacation or I'm in, you know, in the living room or whatever, and I'll be able to do this whenever I feel like it. And, you know, sometimes I get done Warhammer early at the club and then you kind of just sit there for an hour or whatever. Well, now I can just bring this each time. All my miniatures are safe. It comes with the dice. It's got everything I need. Oh, I forgot to mention, I also printed out and laminated the wound chart. And that fits um, right at the bottom of the map. So this is all coming together splendidly. And I'm very excited for it. So I'm going to have pictures of it. And um, I'm not going to have hard and fast teams. Um, I'm not going to paint them that way necessarily. I'm just going to figure out another way. Maybe I'll paint their base a different color or something. Or maybe I will just paint half of them like blue themed and half of them red themed or something like that. And, um, but it will be also really helpful, something I can bring in the house and I don't have to bring a bunch of terrain to play brutality and stuff like that. I can just play in the house at my leisure, as the British would say, and I can leisurely play brutality. So I'm pretty excited about it. Also waiting on my final, final edit copy of, uh, settlement mode for brutality. And I am in talks with the distributor right now. So... Right now, it's a little bit up in the air whether or not I'm going to be able to release settlement mode immediately or different things are going to have to change. If I do go through with this deal with a distributor, then they're going to also be printing the book and I may have to reformat things and all of that. So don't entirely know what I'm doing right now with settlement mode, which is good timing and also bad timing. I just don't know. So I'm, I'm talking back and forth for them uh, for the last two weeks, trying to iron things out and figure things out. And I don't know if I'll end up going through with it or not, but it would be a huge bucket list item to have my game on store shelves. That would be freaking awesome. So anyway, that's basically what I've been up to. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for supporting the show. And let's get on with uh, let's want that or want that not. Want that 
or want that not. On this edition of Want That or Want That Not, we're covering a Blood Bowl team for a change. It's the Vampire Blood Bowl team, the Drakfang Thirsters. First off, I have to say I have always had a soft spot for vampires. Uh, the only Warhammer Fantasy army I ever owned for 8th edition fantasy was Vampire Counts. And then I ended up buying them back for Age of Sigmar and had Vampire Counts for a while under um, Legions of Nagash and things like that. Now, I eventually sold them. So I kept my Night Haunt and stuff like that, kept my Flesh Eater Quartz, but I actually did end up selling my Soulblight army just because it didn't quite play the way I wanted. I wanted all vampires all the time is what I wanted. But unfortunately, that really couldn't um, do that for me. Vampires are only characters, and that's that. But that seems to be a different story for this vampire Blood Bowl team, the Drac, the Dracfang Thirsters. Apparently, it is um, one, two, three, four, five, six vampires, all unique sculpts, by the way. One of them is a bit of a retread, but it's got different heads. So you've got six vampires. This would not be bad at all for a Soulblight army. If you're starting a Soulblight army, you've got one lady, one dude with um, actual wings, one guy that looks like a Nosferatu, and uh, two guys that look basically like normal vampires, but they've got really cool like uh, collars sticking up. And then, of course, you've got a quarterback that is also a vampire. I'm going to say off right off the bat that these are freaking awesome models, okay? To the point where I don't play Blood Bowl, but I think I probably will buy this box. It's $50, okay? So it's not cheap. I think uh, some of the Blood Bowl uh, boxes used to be cheaper. I think they were 40 or 45 This is 50 It comes with a bunch of thralls. It comes with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight thralls. And what did I say? Six vampires. Comes with some tokens on the side. I don't know exactly what they are. They're um, uh, like coffin shaped. I don't know exactly what they are. But these models look awesome. And even the thralls don't look that bad. The thralls have those puffy shirts. Those um, those aristocratic puffy shirts with the um, well, they're puffy shirts. <laughs> also, uh, one of them's even holding a bat. It's just great fun. I think this is a really good kit. I'm really impressed with how they've been able to make this look unique. And I can see only one of the sculpts. Yes, I believe only one of the sculpts is reused in the entire army. Maybe two of them. Actually, I say two. I see two. Two sculpts out of the whole box are reused. Everything else is either modular and you can build it differently, or it's literally just a different sculpt. Now, of course, I don't play Blood Bowl, do I? But I do have Brutality, and if I wanted to do an all-vampire army, which is not a bad idea, I actually do have my vampire uh, pirates, my vampirates, I call them, and they're all vampires, which are pretty cool, but these are more traditional vampires. The one vampire lady has the hair kind of like Bride of Frankenstein. It's very campy, but very cool looking. And I can definitely see using these thralls for other things. Just regular guys. Give them some weapons. They clearly don't have weapons in this because it's Blood Bowl. But uh, give them, swap out a hand or two. Give them a flintlock pistol or something like that. To be honest with you, even if you play Mordheim, I could definitely see you using these as Mordheim. Because football gear is not much different from just regular armor with the shoulder pads and the helmet and things like that. So I could definitely see myself buying this box set. I like it a lot. I've got no complaints whatsoever about it. 
The sculpts are varied. The sculpts look really cool. There's a lot of uh, detail in them. I didn't realize there's actually two women. I see one that's got big old boobies here, so that must be a woman. But uh, very, very cool looking. So I have absolutely nothing bad to say. I like a lot of these thralls have obviously been bitten in the, the neck. You can actually see the, the bite marks in the neck. And their shirts are like all torn because obviously the vampires use and abuse their thralls. So um, very, very neat looking. And I especially like this woman with the uh, Bride of Frankenstein hairdo. And I don't know what it is about this collar they've got. They've got these really tall looking collars and they just look so cool. I, I really like the design of this. So if you're thinking about getting into, into Soul Blight or you are in Soul Blight and you want some more vampires, this is a pretty darn cheap option. For essentially the price of one and a half characters, you can get a bunch of characters. And why on earth could you not throw these thralls in with your vampires? I mean, your, uh, your zombies. I see no reason why you couldn't do that. So it's definitely a want that for me, and I suggest you get it. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. This Real Talk today is actually spurred by a conversation I had with Mario, and that was via Facebook Messenger at uh, facebook.com slash pimpcron. You can also reach me at pimpcron at gmail.com. And he, he and I had such a back and forth that it wasn't necessarily uh, Tesseract mailbox worthy because it was him, me, him, me, him, me. We had an actual conversation. So, Mario, this is for you. He asks if American Warhammer players are more competitive than the rest of the world. Now, Mario himself is from Mexico, and he says that he does not see that many Warhammer players at all in Mexico very difficult to find any games outside of his very small cluster of friends in their city. So apparently Mexico does not have a big population of Warhammer players, but from what he hears of American players and the tournament scene and things like that, including articles, YouTube videos, all that, he said that he, he gets the feeling that Americans are way more competitive in Warhammer than other countries. So Obviously, I don't have any statistics for this, and I, I explained most of this in our conversation. I'm just going to be adding more to it. I don't have any statistics for this, but I think it's probably the same everywhere. Um, my friend Alfie, I call him, Alfonso, he lives in the Philippines, and he said the Warhammer group is extremely competitive. I mean, there are no casuals in his group whatsoever. And he tends to be more of a casual, but over time I've noticed that they've slowly made him more competitive because you can only be stomped so many times by your local group before you kind of have to adjust to the group, right? You can't just stand out all alone. You're just going to get stomped all the time. And that's why I talk about the community being uh, welcoming to casual people is really important. But he said that it's essentially all competitive players. Now, I've got a friend in Russia named Daniel. And he said that it's the same exact way there. He's extremely casual. I mean, he wants to put some models down and paint them the way he wants. And he's really into the lore and reads the books and all of that. And when he used to play, he actually stopped in 7th edition because all of the players near him were extremely competitive. To the point where it was no fun to play at all. When he got there, he would get stomped. Nobody wanted to talk about the lore. Nobody wanted to read the books. No, none of that. It's just he would just get stomped. So he decided to just play by himself with um, a handful of friends. And eventually that just dwindled as people got out of the hobby. And now he's got no one to play with. And he's 
honestly seems to be pretty pretty okay with that. Um, he he seems like he's totally fine just reading the books and getting the lore and all that. I have yet another contact named Tom in Canada, and he also com- has complained to me that his local group is so darn competitive that he can't do anything about it. He only plays on Tabletop Simulator because he's found a narrative group there and they do uh, crusade campaigns and he's found his own niche, but it's not in a local group because they're so darn competitive. Now, of course, these are all anecdotal evidence, right? Uh, Of course, I've only spoken to these three people, to my memory. I've spoken to many people across the world, but these three in particular, I know the best. And they have all told me a similar story, right? So I find it hard to believe that Americans in general are more competitive than other countries, just as a rule of thumb. I don't really think it's like that. To be honest with you, I think by and large, most humans across the world, we're all pretty much the same. We have the same tendencies. Sure, you have cultural differences and education levels and, you know, poverty levels and all of that are different. But I think at our core, most people are generally the same. So I think that you're always going to have that very quiet, uh, possible majority of narrative players that you just don't see because they don't attend events. They don't make a ruckus. They don't comment on videos. They don't, they're just very quiet because casual people are just, they're not, they don't have a horse in the game, in in the race. Like, in other words, um, a lot of competitive people watch the meta and they read the articles and they listen to the podcasts that are very competitive and uh, just things like that. They comment on YouTube videos and they watch battle reports and they want to know what all the FAQs and And none of that's wrong. They're just much more engaged. People such as myself and a lot of my friends are far more casual. And we just play it to hang out with buddies, you know, and roll some dice and just enjoy ourselves. So, Mario, the answer is I don't think Americans, by and large, are any more competitive than anyone else anywhere else. Because I've heard anecdotally that there's plenty of competitive people that make it miserable for the non-competitives. But what I will tell you is something that I have observed, and it actually fits all three of my foreign friends' uh, situations. All three of them live in cities. None of them are in the country. And from all the people that I know, people that live in cities tend to be far more competitive, anecdotally, than the country folk. Now, I live in a very rural area. And of course, we have some competitive players, but I think by and large, it's more casual. And I have a lot of friends that come from cities such as like Philadelphia or Annapolis. And in their gaming stores, they are far more competitive. Now, there could be a couple theories behind that, but essentially it seems like when people are concentrated, people tend to be more aggressive. And... I don't necessarily mean physically or anything like that, although that there could be an argument for that. Because just naturally, if you leave your house, you walk out your door, and there's people, right? And you're always going to run into some crazy or some homeless or some whatever. And then you're driving in traffic, and then there's traffic, and you're pissed off, and you're like, oh, why are there so many people? And then you go to the office, and there's so many people in the office, and it's a big building, and there's so you're just so sick of people. And then you go to the grocery store and it's packed full of people or this is sold out or that's sold out. I think that 
city life is just more competitive because everyone is so concentrated. Now, of course, I'm sure there's casuals that live in cities like that's it's not really a blanket statement as it's as much as it's probably sounding. But the people that I know that are more casual tend to live in either suburbs or more importantly, rural areas. And the city folk are just more competitive. Now, I think there's another side to this. If you don't want to go with the actual living conditions of that society in that area, you can also say that a gaming store that's near a large concentration of people is going to have a lot more concentration of players. So, just like Alfonso's instance in the Philippines, he had to adjust to them and become more competitive because the concentration of people that he's going to run into, many of them you don't know. So you have to, when you're playing strangers, you have to kind of assume that they're going to play competitively because if you don't assume that, you're going to get stomped. So you're trying to even the playing field and you can say, let's have a fun game. Let's have a casual game. You can say all these words, but they don't really mean anything because your definition and their definition is probably different. Meanwhile, the other person is also looking at you, not knowing you, thinking, oh, this guy's trying to lure me into a false sense of security. And then they're going to bring a tougher list. So I think the competition and the number of players just in general makes things more competitive because you don't know each other. Take it like my gaming club in a rural area, you pretty much know everybody. So you know that person's reputation of whether or not they're a competitive player or they're casual or whatever. They can go both ways. You know that and then you can actually take a casual list if if you feel safe in that situation. So I truly don't think this is a country by country basis. If anything, it could be a city versus rural basis. And that's only anecdotally what I've seen, but that does seem to be the case. So you could say that their entire lifestyle is so competitive with traffic and the job market and the housing market and the school system and everything is just more competitive because there's more people vying for it versus in the country, things are spread out and people don't have a lot of traffic and there's, you know, a a ton of space you're away from other people so in general those instincts don't kick in and you're not more competitive but like i said that's all just anecdotal so please email me and let me know if you think americans in general are more competitive now one other anecdotal thing i know several people in uh western europe and they have tournaments all the time in the uk and um uh, in uh, Spain and uh, France, they, they have tournaments all the time. Now, you don't hear about the narrative players. So I don't know what the percentage of the population is, but you hear about tournaments all the time. So I don't think that America in general is uh, more competitive. I think it's more like you hear about it more often. So then that gives you the impression of us being more competitive. So. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show and also Panhandle3D.etsy.com and my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling, totally doable, very fertile, I don't know why I keep going to this, juicy and maybe covered in icing, Patreon patrons. I'll see you next week.